Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Mondays, and I'm going to get into that in a moment. I just want to make sure you're okay, though, that you survived the windpocalypse uh, that was going to happen. So on, I saw this on someone's Facebook, and I thought this described it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a little bit of hype uh, that was going on there. And uh, it, actually, uh, Costco and a bunch of stores sold out of generators, probably pretty good for... Uh, uh, business. It helped us panic about something besides the election. So I thought it was pretty good uh, uh, to do as we uh, gathered around that. Panic can often beset us in areas of our life. That we can feel a sense of dis-ease when it comes to relationships uh, at home, uh, out in the community, or at work. And that's what I'm going to talk about uh, today. We're in this series, Made for Mondays, and, and last week I looked at 360 success. That God wants us to uh, find success. Uh, that's not a, for some of you who are raised in the church, you might say that's, that's bad or even the, the, uh, the church term carnal. No, not at all. It's a biblical understanding that, that work is not bad. God wants uh, to be involved in the work part of your life. There's actually uh, many verses in the Bible that address that quite directly. And that there's a success that's, that's, yes, it includes advancement and money, but that's not all it is. That's 360 around uh, success. Next week, we're going to look at fit and purpose. And sort of when you're in one of those uh, seasons of, of maybe transition or trying to find your fit, I, I'm really excited about uh, next week. If you have someone who's like not a church person, next week would be a, a very good one. We're going to look at the Bible uh, but I think that is just a great one that many people deal with. And then uh, we're going to look at work-life, how we, how we integrate the two. Today we're looking at conflict. Uh, any of you ever have any conflict at work ever? Yeah, and, and like I always say, if there's no conflict at work, you're the source of it. And uh, so if, you're, if you can't recognize it, there's always conflict. And here's the deal, for some of you who are... Uh, you know, sort of peacemakers. And th there's a biblical peacemaking, but some of us don't like any conflict at all. Can I tell you that a healthy organization will have some level of conflict? Patrick Lencioni, in one of uh, his uh, seminal works, uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, he says a lack of conflict, healthy conflict, not unhealthy, is a sign of an organization that's in trouble. But we're going to be looking a little bit more at that kind of conflict that can be unhealthy, that actually can be life-taking, not life-giving uh, to us, where we work uh, through that. And it's important that we work through it, because God will do, do great things. I do premarital counseling every once in a while. I don't do as many of the weddings around here as I used to. Uh, and every once in a while, I'll, I'll say, hey, tell me about what you do during an argument. And, and, and every once in a while, I'll get this. We never argue. 
we just get it. We're so, per and I'm like, you need to wait and get, to get married until you've had a good disagreement. Because the success of your marriage is based way less on the emotions you feel in this moment, even the commonalities that you have, than how you work through conflict. And you, you might say, hey, Ben, you know, uh, why are you talking about this? This is, this is church. Shouldn't we, you know, be studying in the book of Revelation about the seven churches and the end times? And, and that, nothing wrong with that. Conflict is important because it's spiritual and it's practical. And in fact, uh, there, one of the reasons I, I felt led to talk about this uh, is because of the conversations I've had. Uh, with many people. And if you're like new in your career, let me tell you this. Your career will probably never be undone by a lack of knowledge or skill. That may happen. People, I've seen people who are highly skilled who don't get a promotion or lose their jobs because they can't handle conflict well. So uh, it, we honor God. God says that we are to uh, be Christ's ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. That's the God part, and that's a good part. But I can also tell you that it will cost you position and money and peace in your work if you don't do this right. If you're a supervisor or business owner, uh, in fact, I talked to one after our 830 uh, service. I know some of you, like you're saying 830 service, you would never consider that. Uh, so you, you, you think this is the 1145. No, actually this starts at 1115. Just uh, in case you ever want to come on time, encourage you to do it. So uh, yeah, we were thinking of just changing the time and not telling you. So, uh, but, but he was saying, I'm a business owner. And what you said makes sense. Because especially if you're a small business owner, this will cost you not thousands, but tens of thousands of dollars. You, you want to make, if you own a small business, you want to make another fifty, hundred, or $200,000 this year? Do nothing else but change the conflict culture. Because employee turnover is really high cost. And oftentimes we're like, ah, I can just never find the right employees. They're always just complainers and they're causing problems. That... It's true for some of them, but if it's, if it's an epidemic in your workplace, then it probably has way more to do with how the organization deals with conflict. See, we honor God, we succeed, we're able to do more. When we get a hold of a biblical perspective on this, as we look at conflict and difficult coworkers. Well, uh, we, we know that we can get a little passive-aggressive on this as well. In fact, I came across these uh, coffee mugs because uh, oftentimes we send messages to our coworkers. This one I just like because it has nothing to do with conflict, but I loved it. I give 100% work, 31% on Monday, 25% on Tuesday, and then finally 7% on Friday. <laughs> How many of you feel like that's a little high for Friday? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. But now there's conflict. Here's one. Uh, a handmade mug. Shh. Almost, now you may speak. Uh, yeah, a little caffeine in the system. Uh, and then this next one, uh, I'm silently correcting your grammar. How many would you admit you do that? Yeah, how many of you do that to me? Yeah, yeah I know you do. Uh, so, uh, I'm from Lakewood, I have an excuse. So, uh, the, uh, cancel my subscription, I'm tired of your issues. A little passive aggressive there, isn't it? Uh, and then this one, I'd love to stay in chat, but I'm lying. <laughs> See, conflict happens. Conflict is not bad in and of itself, 
It's how we show up in the middle of that. Our theme scripture is from Romans 12.1. And actually, I, did, I, ne I really never use paraphrases that much, but I love how uh, this paraphrase uh, says it in the message version. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. As I said, the scripture talks a lot about work. Now, if you're new to the Bible, uh, one, we have a Bible class every once in a while. I encourage you to take it where we'll do like two and a half hours, show you how to get around the Bible, understand the Bible. Um, and because, I, because I believe in that. Just because it's not been your past, it doesn't mean that the scripture can't be in your future. Here's why this is so significant. Because the Bible uh, is all inspired by God, but it contains different kind of literature. In fact, did you know there's a songbook in the middle of the Bible? It's called the Psalms. And so when you take that, that's not, you can't take that as a history or as just, you know, teaching what you should do in everyday life. Some of it's a little more poetic. There's uh, the epistles in the New Testament, and those are telling you how to behave, how to live. There's history books in the Bible. And then there's what's called the wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature are particularly the Proverbs, are observations in life. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, these are just truisms that are true, even apart from your faith. Now, if you're uh, familiar with literature in general, you know that there are Proverbs that come from different uh, religions and cultures. And so you might say, what's different about these Proverbs? Well, what's different is the, the accuracy of these truisms. God is vouching for them. And God inspired them. In fact, he inspired a guy named Solomon, who was the, uh, the third king, really, of the nation of Israel. And he had supernatural wisdom given to him by God, the wisest person to live besides Jesus. In fact, the next two weeks, we're going to continue in the wisdom literature. Uh, we're going to look in the book of Ecclesiastes, which, if you're familiar with the Bible, you say, oh, that's sort of a bummer book of the Bible. Uh, you're going to uh, you're going to learn to appreciate that book more than ever. So I encourage you to come. It'll be real practical. But to know how to read that book of the Bible is, is really important. Otherwise, you'll just think it's someone who went off their meds. I mean, because it's a little depressing at times. Uh, Proverbs are uh, really instruction for life. And here's uh, some of the instruction that we get is what to do when good intentions meet real life. It says this, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. Now, here it's talking particularly about adversaries. Uh, this isn't just basic conflict. This is someone who is out to get you. Now, if you think everyone's out to get you, that's called being paranoid. If you think no one's out to get you, then you're naive. Uh, because there will be people like that in our life. Uh, for men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So we see that it's saying we need wisdom. Those first four words, wisdom will save you. And so here's the goal. Here's the goal of this message is that we would learn to respond and not to react to difficult uh, situations and coworkers. You know the difference between a response and a reaction? A response is when I've thought about what I'm going to say. And a reaction is just where I'm in the moment. 
And that's great sometimes, but oftentimes the greatest damage you will do to your career and to your marriage, to your friendships, and even when it comes to the decisions you make in, in living a way to honor God, will be reacting, not responding. Responding says, I'm going to include some wisdom. And so how do we respond wisely? Uh, the first thing that we want to do is to intentionally include God. That we would intentionally, not that, you know, hey, my life's falling apart, God, will you please help me? Those prayers are great. But what if we included God before we shipwrecked a friendship or a career? What if we said, God, help me to understand your wisdom? Uh, in fact, if you've had maybe uh, a number of work situations, and you say, you know, I can't think of anything I would have done differently, you might want to check out God's wisdom. Because all of us can do things differently. In fact, after our Saturday night service, you may, may or may not know this, Saturday night service, uh, our team meets, and we evaluate everything in the service. Uh, you know, what, uh, and, and everyone gets a fair share, and they can say what uh, went right or what went wrong. Uh, most junior staff person will say, hey, Ben, I think your message was, you know, could have been a lot different, and they'll give me advice on it. And uh, I know I bring in people who are guest speakers, and they're like, I can't believe you would let people, uh, you know, give you that kind of input. Here's the deal. I believe that there's always room for improvement. And now, there's difference between someone else's advice and then God's instruction. We need his wisdom. It says the beginning of wisdom is this, to get wisdom, though it costs you uh, all you have. Get understanding, cherish her. Uh, wisdom is actually used in the Bible in the feminine, which is interesting. My wife reminds me of that often. Uh, and she will exalt you, embrace her, and she will honor you. So why is this significant? Because maybe you grew up in a great godly home, your first career, you had the best boss ever, an incredible mentor, and you learned how to do it right. And you are way ahead the, the, of, than the rest of us. But maybe you learned from a boss who is a little more reactionary than responding, or maybe you grew up in a household like mine. When there was conflict, there was only one way to engage conflict. And that's to get louder, and the louder you talked, and the harsher you talk, the more you would survive the conflict. That actually hurt my voice. I'm going to need to. <laughs> I usually don't talk like that, except to my dog. <laughs> He's got issues. Uh, so, uh, uh, or you would withdraw. And, and some of you uh, say, oh, I just, I just don't like conflict. Here's how I deal with conflict. I just, I just don't say anything. That's not resolving conflict. Actually, what you could be doing is you could be making it worse. And uh, I don't say, I'm not saying you should call out everyone. There are people who, I just love to call people out. That's not, God doesn't call you to do that. God calls you to engage at times when it's appropriate. But part of this is, before we get to the practical part, a couple more princi general principles is realize that you can't please everybody. That there will be some people who, who are just not going to be pleasable in your uh, life. Uh, we've all worked for someone like that. We've all been that person at times. It says this in the scripture, fear of man will prove to be a snare. What's it talking about there? People pleasing. If you're a people pleaser, it'll be a snare to you. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. 
See, there, there's times to understand that you doing the right thing will not always lead to the outcome that you would desire. But we say, God, what would you have me do? Well, once I decide that and I ask for God's wisdom, then I engage with people. And this is so important, is to refuse to play the game. You know what I'm talking about? The game where, where people will be talking about someone. Mary will be talking about Jerry, who will talk to Mike about it. That's called triangulation. And, there, and you can get in these cycles or there's gossip. And by the way, this just doesn't take place in the workplace, does it? It takes place in the neighborhood. It takes place uh, in every social circle we have. I, I had become a Christian in high school. Not too long after, I moved to Louisiana to live with my father. And uh, I was there for a brief period of time. And as I lived in Louisiana, one of the things I noticed different, uh, and by the way, that's why I have the southern accent. No. <laughs> the, uh, so I lived in Louisiana, and I noticed that people talked about God more. They talked about Jesus more. I'd just become a Christian, and I thought, this is great. People talk more about Jesus. It seems not to be, uh, you know, more of an awkward thing like it can be in the Northwest. And I thought, these are just wonderful Jesus people. I've gone, like, to heaven. These people just must be wonderful. And it was wonderful right up until the point I went to a Little League game. <laughs> and these people, they forgot about Jesus once they showed up. You know what I'm talking about? The screaming, the yelling, the cussing, the berating, the gossiping. And this is only the parents I'm talking about at this point. And, and li literally in this little town that one of my, uh, I think it was one of my nephews uh, was in, one of the leagues, they had two little league leagues. Do you know why? Because of conflict. Because these adults who were supposed to be cheering on their children got so personally involved in that little league sport, my guess is not a single, single major league player came out of that town. But you would have thought that this was a World Series every time they played. Why? Because they got involved in sort of that game of conflict. I have to win. I have to win. Well, what can you, uh, you do as you engage? Here's what it says in the scripture. As a charcoal is to embers, as wood is to a fire, so is a quarrelsome person to kindling strife. That there's a way to remove ourselves from that. And here's the thing. It's, it's fun. You know, someone wants to, you say, I'm just a good listener. And here's the problem with that. Is most people will take silence as agreement. So if you say, I didn't agree with them. 95% of people, if you're just listening to someone gossip or say something, they will believe that you've agreed with them unless you say differently. And so, see, God has an assignment for us uh, in that. Well, as we uh, move through uh, areas of conflict, this one is so significant, is number four, recognize any undercurrents. There's a difference between presenting problems and underlying issues. Uh, the thing that can be frustrating is that when we address a presenting problem and we think it should get better and it doesn't, it's often because we failed to see the underlying issues. Maybe there's someone at work and you've tried to do everything you can and this is going to be the thing that's going to take it to the next level. Uh, for me, as pastor of a church, I know some of you are saying, Ben, what do you know about conflict? You pastor a church, 
you guys, you know, get together, you give everyone a group hug in the morning, sing Kumbaya, and, you know, just read the Bible all the day, all day long. Well, even, even at church, uh, whenever you have people on a staff, there can be conflict. Why? Because there are sinners on the staff. Everyone but me. I mean, there's so many of them. So, uh, so there's this conflict. Now, honestly, some pastors have been in situations where there's lots of conflict. One of the reasons I, you know, I've been blessed, I haven't been in a lot of those situations, is one, I think the unity of vision that we have, that we're about making more and better disciples. And we just have a rule around here, is we don't let mean people leave. I, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how much you give. If you're mean, you're never gonna be in a leadership position uh, in the church. And so we try to uh, move on in, a, in as healthy way as possible. Do we get it right all the time? No. But we're striving towards that end. In a church I served previously, uh, I had really the, probably the most significant conflict I had ever had. And it was someone who had served on a board. Like we have a board here to make sure there's integrity of finances, theology, morality. Just like that's good accountability structure. And there was one guy though who was on the board who he seemed, uh, you know, and he didn't seem like this at first, but he seemed pretty combative and negative and nitpicky. He would ask questions that weren't questions, but were really sort of gotcha moments. Have you ever been around someone like that who will ask you a gotcha, gotcha question in a meeting? And we just didn't have a culture like that. And so I tried to deal with it in the meeting as best I could and just, you know, go through the next few meetings and like, hey, we're going to, uh, I just want to give you all the information you need. See, I, I, when someone asks a question, I usually believe they're just asking a question. I, I, I try to work through it with people. But then it became more and more clear that this was not the case. And uh, he had even been that way with me and, and, and uh, you know, been sort of real negative in, in that. And it was getting to me. And finally, I said, hey, I, I'm going to have a meeting. So I had a meeting with him. And you know how it is when someone's bugging you, and then you're, there's like a few days before the meeting, and you realize how much they've been bugging you? And I started thinking about all the things he had said and how nasty and mean he had been. And I thought, you know what? This guy, I, I, I'm, and I started, my blood was boiling. I got really angry. I said, I know what I'm going to do. I must destroy him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, sometimes you say, oh, Ben's kidding. No, I, no, not at all. Uh, I thought, he must die. And so, uh, so uh, we had this meeting, and I had the Bible. Like, I had scriptures ready. First, I was going to come at him with the spiritual stuff. You know, 1 Samuel 15, 23, where it says, uh, uh, dissension is like the sin of witchcraft. And I was going to say, this is what the Bible says. How does it feel to serve Satan? I just want to know. Uh, and I was like, literally, I had had all these scriptures ready. And, and I was like, and I thought, and he was sort of an older guy, a little out of shape. So I thought, if that didn't work, I'll just hit him. So, you know, I, 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 I was pretty angry uh, at him. That's before they had all the cameras where someone could have gotten that. I figured I could get away from it or get away with it. But he, he was, and fortunately, I'd had my quiet time that day. And so, and I was pretty honest about the problems. I said, uh, hey, you know, you've been coming at me in a way that's uh, one I've never experienced before and I think is completely inappropriate. And I gave him specific examples uh, and dealt with the issue. And then I said something that was out of my nature and uh, said, but this doesn't really seem like who you are. 
I, I don't think this is who you are. Literally, this guy, sort of big shot developer guy, starts, he looks at me, and his tears start coming down his eyes. And he apologized, and then he described all that was going on in his life. And uh, he was a developer. Do any of you remember when real estate was actually going down? Any of you remember that? Yeah, so he was losing, he was in trouble, he was at a job that he would eventually get fired from. Uh, because he was caught in the real estate market. He was actually uh, party to a lawsuit because he had been investing in some things where uh, when real estate was going down, everyone's trying to blame someone, right? And it affected everything. And he talked about how he was raised and how he didn't want to be that person. And it was probably one of the most redemptive moments in my entire ministry over 20 years. And I'm sure glad that I didn't show up how I wanted to show up. But I asked the question. You want to have a big ministry at work? It's not going to be leaving tracks on people's desk. Saying, hey, you want to know Jesus? This tells you how to know Jesus. It's going to be how you show up where people are showing up at their worst. And you show up at your best. And you show grace. And you operate differently. And people say, what's different about you? And you listen and you care Not in some way where you're a doormat. God is not honored by doormats. And you will have a powerful impact in your workplace. And if you're a boss, this is the key. We're going to go through a few conflict resolution steps, and and that's important. But this is the key to deal with the issues that will never come up in any other way. And you know what you're doing? You're showing up like Jesus would have you show up. It says this, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And part of that understanding is how to interact with other people. And then uh, number five, and now we're going to get into particulars, is own anything you can. If there's a conflict situation, you need to own what you can. Uh, by the way, this works in marriage, in our friendship as well. If there's something, can, can you own the part that's yours? Now, the problem is, and generally, this is generally true of men and women. It's not going to be true of all men or all women. But men in general, when we say we're sorry, we usually feel like we're saying we're sorry for 100% of it, and we don't think it's 100%, and so I'm not going to admit defeat. Women tend to be a little wiser in this, and will usually say, oh, what I'm doing is I'm showing a statement of concern that says, I want to rebuild the relationship. I'm not taking 100% of ownership of anything. And so own what you can. Maybe your part, you know, you're a, you're a math person. And you say, I, I am responsible for 17.24% of this problem. Own that 17.24%. As I've said, don't give the percentage because that'll make people mad. And so, but you just say, this is a part that I can own. Jesus, uh, he deals with this quite uh, directly. And so we're going to take a turn from the Proverbs. Uh, There's one there, but I want to, for time's sake, get to the Gospel of Matthew. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, uh, as you look at that scripture, 
uh, it's, sort of, it's humorous, by the way. This is Jewish humor. It's called hyperbole. He's making it exaggerate. You know, someone walking around like a plank in their eye, and they're trying to remove the speck. And here's a point he's making. He's saying, deal with yourself first. Here's the point he's not making, because this is popular in some Christian circles. Oh, you should never judge anyone for anything. That's completely unbiblical, by the way. One, you shouldn't. Uh, here's one thing you should never judge. If someone like, doesn't share your faith, and you're like, they're not operating in a way morally I think they should behave, that's none of your business. Because what if they operated in a moral way, but they never had Jesus Christ in their heart? We're to, we're to judge first ourselves, and then every once in a while, there's someone who we're in relationship with, and we, because of friendship, we say, hey, can I point something out to you? The most helpful conversations in my life have been those people who've said, Ben, you're showing up this way, and uh, it's not really uh, helpful. I, I worked when I... I uh, was right, I think it was right at the end of my time, I was at the University of Washington, Seattle. I worked as an intern at a church one summer. And when I was there, there were other interns, and I was, I was pretty judgy of some of the other people. And one of the pastors there said, Ben, you know, you're really gifted, but you need to, it would be helpful if you would honor the gifts of other people. That was one of the most helpful things anyone ever said to me in my life. I did that when I worked in churches, when I worked out in the uh, business world as well. Maybe someone is trying to help you. Well, as we uh, look at this, the 12 most powerful words are, I was wrong, I am sorry, please forgive me, but also I appreciate you. And then number six, fix what's fixable. There will be situations uh, where uh, you will need to leave your workplace. You need to quit because it's not going to be healthy for you. Where there's an employee who, even though they're talented, you will need to move to another team or move off from your company. But first fix what's fixable. And God gives us tools for that. Now, we've been uh, talking to business leaders and will in the next couple weeks uh, from our church who, who lead organizations out in the community. Uh, but today I wanted you to hear from someone who's a counselor uh, and who talks to a lot of business people. Uh, and it comes from it from a Christian perspective, uh, also has an MBA as well, and uh, as we deal with conflict. So take a look at this as Brian shares with us. Well, one of the things we're doing is we're talking to, obviously, business leaders in the community, but today's about conflict. And so uh, I wanted you to hear from Brian Gear, who owns... Uh, a counseling practice in Redmond, uh, and uh, we went to the same school together. He has three degrees, theology, uh, business, and counseling. So the reason I wanted you to share with uh, people today is basically because you have all of that perspective as a counselor, as a theologian, mm -hmm. as someone who uh, runs and operates your own business. Mm -hmm. And you deal with a lot of people, obviously, from the area, mm -hmm. people who work from the big companies. Yes in the area and my guess is sometimes the issue of conflict at work comes up what do you find are some of the issues behind the conflict mm -hmm. you know because we always get the conflict but it usually just doesn't happen in that moment yeah right i i think that that uh, the conflict that people uh, have really is a result of how they're taking care of their, themselves and 
where they actually have set their hearts and where they've set their minds. There's a chapter in Colossians that has a few verses that I want to just read for a sure, second. Sure, that's great. Because uh, I think it it's just so it so easily sets the tone for what you're asking me about uh, that I, I can't get better than this. Colossians chapter 3. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another whatever their grievances. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect harmony. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is a word, Christ, you are serving. You set your hearts and you set your minds. And so this is a commitment to be Christ-centered uh, in the workplace. And it's not easy, it's difficult. It takes a lot of courage. Hey, we're, we're loved in Christ. So uh, you, you can come to Christ in whatever uh, frustrations or inadequacies you have, and he, and he will meet you. And he will meet you in the workplace as well and that you don't have to go to work uh, depleted and bring peace, the peace of God in you to your workplace. Take responsibility quickly if you blew it. Uh, make right as quickly as you can. Make amends. And then in the end here, it suggests that no matter what you do, love is the most important thing. This is the day, this is Monday, we, we were in church. Today's mm -hmm. the day I'm gonna work on reconciliation. Mm -hmm. what, what, and, and the other person's not asking for it. So what do I do? You go in and say, hey, I know there's tension and I played a part and this is my part and I'm really sorry that I've created this conflict. The, the part that I played, uh, I want to say I'm sorry. Uh, I, I want to, us to be reconciled. I think we, we can be a benefit to one another. Uh, please forgive me. And if, if you want to make a mark in business, you do that once a week. Mm -hmm. Not once a month, not once a year, because we all make blunders. Mm -hmm. And you make it a part of, you know, just who you are as a person. And people will respond to that. They'll be shocked. They won't believe it. Is this for real? It will disarm them immediately. And you will have a friend forever. And the reality is, is how it goes at home, how it goes in your private life, how it goes in the secret of your office at home is how it goes at work. Hmm. There's no mystery to that. Uh, if you're dwelling on Christ, your heavenly father, if you're investing in his, he's the one that makes us kind. He's the one that, as we spend time with him, that softens our heart and sharpens our heart. One of the situations I think most of the people are gonna be dealing with is navigating conflict where I want to follow Jesus, but I'm navigating it with coworkers who don't share my faith, maybe even scorn it. Mm -hmm. how, how, do you, how do you move ahead in that scenario? The currency here is you're not selling Jesus, 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 or religion, religion, religion. The currency here is grace. The currency is forgiveness. The, the, the currency is kindness. The currency is equipping your neighbor to be successful. The currency is, is to show them that you care about them, to be interested. And if we see that opportunity, we can't go wrong.
that really what he's talking about is to respond with grace. Is that we respond with the grace that's been given us. We do it in a practical way. It says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And, you know, it's hard to show grace unless you've received grace. See, we're never more like Jesus than when we're showing grace and the other person didn't ask for it. And uh, maybe we feel like they don't deserve it. The scripture says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he made the first move and he offered grace for anyone who would receive it. Not everyone will receive it, but some do. And maybe for you, you say, that has been the story of my life. Not that I came with perfection, I came with brokenness and there's still brokenness in my life. But God has shown me amazing grace in the midst of that. Or you're saying, you know, I have a hard time showing grace because I haven't experienced that yet in my life. So what I want to do as we close today, I want to pray for you. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for each and every person here, God. I just thank you for the opportunity that we have uh, to work through difficult issues, to live out faith in such a way that would uh, honor you. And God, where we can uh, find really the best of ourselves in finding the best of you. And, and maybe you're here and you say, Ben, uh, I, haven't, I haven't really experienced that. I, I believe in God, and, and, but I'm just not sure if, if that grace that you talk about is, is really there in my life. That comes from responding to God's offer of, of the gift of forgiveness and a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you have that want to in your heart, the Bible calls that want to faith. And you'd say, I, I don't know everything I need to know, but I know this, that I want what God offers through his son, Jesus, that I want that grace, that I can be a person of grace, but, but, but I, I need to, to just say yes to him. So you would pray this. I, I'm not going to have you pray out loud or come forward or anything like that, but you just say something like this silently to God. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love and your compassion for me. I thank you that you took the first move. And God, that you offer grace when uh, really I don't deserve it. But God, I desperately want it and need it. I need that forgiveness that you're, you offer through your son, Jesus Christ. And so I say yes to him today as the leader and the Lord of my life. And God, I, I want to, to follow you. And God, I'm not going to be able to do it through my strength. I'm going to need your strength. And God, I've just failed too many times. And so God, I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to start trusting. And so I'm trusting you today, Jesus to work in my heart and my life. And the scripture says when we invite him in, that his answer is always a yes. That it doesn't matter uh, what's happening in the present, our problem, or our past, that he, he says yes. And God will begin that good work in you as we're told in the book of Philippians. And he'll carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. As you make that decision to say yes to Jesus, no, that's, that's the biggest thing about you now is that you're a child of God and that you're loved by him. 
And the Bible says that, that because that's so big, we're, we're to let other people know. And so I encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, that you would tell someone uh, this week, but even before that. And here's a way we give you a chance to take a first step with everyone's eyes closed and head bowed. But if you prayed that prayer to say yes to Jesus, would you simply uh, indicate that as a, as a first step by simply looking up at me. You'd say, you know, this would be, uh, I prayed that prayer and I just want to let someone know. So I'm letting you know today. I'm looking at my right and your, uh, your left. Okay, I see you. That's great. Anyone else on my right? Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. And in the center sections too. You say, that's me. That's a decision I'm making today. That's great. All right, gosh, that's awesome. And in the balcony, you'd say, that's a decision I'm making today. All right. And on my left, you'd say, you know, that's, I'm, I'm saying yes to Jesus. God, I just thank you for so many of my friends who are making that step of faith today. And God, I pray that they would find you faithful every step of the way. And God, that when life isn't perfect, that you are. When our grace runs out, your grace is sufficient. And so we, we ask that you would go before us as we head into the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.